0: And Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. And the many commentators uh, suggest various things about this meal. I suggest it's a meal of fellowship. It's a fellowship uh, meal between Ahab and Yahweh, the God of Israel. But I'd like you just to notice that phrase at the end of verse 41, a sound of abundance of rain. In your margin it says a sound of a noise of rain. In the ears of Elijah, rain was pouring down. Yet we know, when he sends his servant out, that the sky was cloudless. It's the Apostle Paul to uh, Galatians, it's Galatians chapter 3 and verse 2, that describes the hearing of faith. And I suggest to you that this is a, a wonderful example of the hearing of faith. What is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. There wasn't a cloud in the sky. Yet God had promised his prophet that rains would come if our ears were more attentive to the still small voice of calm that comes from the lips of our heavenly father. Then we would hear his promises coming. We wouldn't get distracted. We would walk in faith. And we will see those promises coming upon the earth. There's the exhortation. And Elijah looked and he saw now, we see then, Elijah commences this a very intense prayer, and it says that he prostrates himself upon the ground. just want to pick up in verse 43 now. As he prays, he has his servant, and he asks his servant to go and, and see whether there are clouds coming in the Mediterranean sky. It says there in verse 43, "'Go up now,' said Elijah, Look toward the sea.' And he went up and looked and said, "'There is nothing.' And he said, "'Go,' again seven times.' So there's the power of prayer, brethren and sisters. He, he asked his servant to go seven times. Seven is the number of the covenant. And Elijah had already burst upon the scene, hadn't he? Speaking of Yahweh Elohim of Israel that liveth. That is the title of the covenant. That's God's memorial name of the covenant. But surely the direct exhortation that we take to ourselves is that we need to be patient with prayer. Elijah was patient. He persisted with his God. Seven times. Until a cloud was to be seen. Now, when the cloud was seen, we see that it took on the smallest of dimensions. Look at that at the middle of verse 44. Behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea. It's like a man's hand, the servant says, to Elijah. A man's hand. God had already fed. The widow and her son and Elijah with a handful of meal. What could God do with a handful of water <coughs> upon this dry earth? We read in Psalm 104 verse 28. Thou openest thine hand, they are filled with good. I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 40 now. Just to develop a little further this picture of God's hand. Isaiah chapter 40 then. I want to draw your attention to verse 12. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and meted out heaven with the span and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in the balance. Now. You, you, you can see that verse in isolation. It's a wonderful link to One Kings chapter eighteen. But we as Bible students know, brethren, sisters, that Isaiah chapter forty relates to John the Baptist and the future work of Elijah. To prove that, look at verse three: "The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord; make straight in the desert a highway for our God." That's Malachi three verse one. It goes on. Look at verse twenty-five of Isaiah forty. To whom then will ye liken me? Or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Well, what's that about? That's a contest upon carnal, is it not? Is it going to be Baal or Yahweh? Verse 27. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from God? Do you remember the stones? The stones that uh, Elijah assembled for the altar, there were 12 stones according the sons of Jacob. But Israel shall be thy name, 1 Kings 18 verse 31. It carries on, verse 28. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, Yahweh, the creator of the ends of the earth? And that was the contest. Who was the creator? Who was the God of fertility? Was it Yahweh or Baal? And then... Uh, verse 29. He giveth power to the faint and to them that have might. He increaseth strength. Even the ewes shall faint and be weary. And the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. And these words apply to Elijah now. Because the spirit now rests upon Elijah. And he runs ahead of the chariot. All the way down to the valley of Jezreel with Ahab in his chariot. The Lord God there renewing his strength and, and lifting him up as wings of an eagle. It's lovely, isn't it? Now when we come back to 1 Kings chapter 18, it's just um, worth noting that he runs to war or in front of the chariot. I so just want to um, just make a cross-reference here. I want you to go to 1 Samuel chapter 8. And there's many suggestions. What was the mind of Elijah as he ran ahead of the chariot? And it's very clear because 1 Samuel chapter 8, Samuel spells out uh, the roles and the responsibilities of the king and, and the duties of his subjects. Verse 10 then of 1 Samuel 8. And Samuel told all the words of the Lord unto the people that asked of him a king. And he said, this will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself. For his chariots, and to be his horsemen, and some shall run before his chariots. So what Elijah was doing, very dramatically, as he ran ahead of the chariot, he was saying, this is the king. This is the Lord's anointed. Just as David said concerning Saul. This is the Lord's anointed. And he'd just seen Ahab eat this meal of fellowship on the top of Mount Carmel. And in the mind of Elijah, all was good. The prayer had been answered. The hearts had been turned. But as we've just read in 1 Kings chapter 19, the hearts had not been turned. That's the future work of Elijah in Malachi 4 verse 6. To turn the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. I want to read now concerning the time when these hearts will be changed. I'd like you to turn to Hosea now. Hosea chapter <laughs> and just as we see in Isaiah chapter 40 how that chapter is peppered with themes concerning Elijah we will see similarly in Hosea chapter 2 it's a chapter that shouts out the life of Elijah Hosea chapter 2 then and, and picking up in verse 16 here the prophet talking about a future time Hosea chapter 2, and it shall be at that day. What day, saith the Lord, that thou shalt call me Ishiel? Notice in your margin that they will call God my husband. Now Jezebel means Baal is husband. Baal means husband. But they call him Yahweh, Ishi, and thou shalt call me no more Baalai my Lord. For I will take away the names of Balaam. That's exactly what Elijah was trying to do with the children of Israel on Carmel. Out of her mouth, and they shall no more be remembered by their name. That was the contest. Whose name was the God of creation? Yahweh or Baal? And they will no longer remember their name. It's a future time, isn't it? Look at verse 19. And you see now, and you spot the themes of Elijah here. And I will betroth thee unto me forever. No longer Baal, husband. No longer Jezebel, Baal's husband. The betrothal there at Carmel. Yea, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness, and in judgment, and in loving kindness, and in mercies. I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness, and thou shalt know Yahweh. And it shall come to pass in that day, I will hear, saith the Lord, I will hear the heavens, and they shall hear the earth. And God had heard in the heavens, and he'd answered in the heavens, had he not. And the earth shall hear the corn and the wine and the oil, and they shall hear Jezreel. God sows, and where was it? It was upon Mount Carmel. And at the base of Carmel was the valley of Jezreel. God sows. God was sowing his word in their hearts so that they could become trees of righteousness. <coughs> and I will sow, verse 23, Jezreel. I will sow her unto me in all the earth, and I will have... Mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy. And I will say to them which are not my people, Thou art my people, and they shall say, Thou art my God. That's the turning of the hearts of the fathers to the children, the children to the fathers. Malachi 4 verse 6. What a wonderful chapter we have before us here in Hosea chapter 2. Well, because of time we need to go back to 1 Kings chapter 19 now. And the rains poured, and I want you to imagine Ahab going down, down into the valley of Jezreel. Torrents of water flowing from heaven, and there's Elijah, this figure with the face of a lion, as swift as a roe upon the mountains. He's bounding down the mountain. His heart is in absolute jubilation. God has answered his prayer. The covenant has been rekindled. And what is Ahab going to say to Jezebel? Well, as we glance down verses 1 to 2, we know the account, I'm sure, very well. Ahab was very economical with the truth, and he focuses on all the things that Elijah had done. Not a mention of the God of Israel. All the things that Elijah had done. And Jezebel, this queen of Baal, is totally incensed. And so, in bloodthirsty revenge, she devotes herself to her gods. And she vows to them that Elijah would be dead within the day. And she writes a letter to be sent to Elijah. Now, on face value, as we read those verses, Baal had already failed, hadn't he? What did Elijah got to fear? Well, we know at this time that Jezebel cut off. If you look at the New King James Version, it says massacred the prophets of Yahweh. There was much to fear. And so then, let's pick up in verse 3. And when Elijah saw that, he arose and went for his life. And he came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. Now, it's a very important verse, verse 3, because as we look at the life of Elijah... This is unique because it's the only time that we find that he goes from one place to another without the word of the Lord coming to him. He goes out of his own volition. He's compelled to go because he receives this letter. He's in fearful state of his life. And he goes and he runs for his life and he goes to Beersheba. Now we know from the scriptures that we are to walk by faith and not by sight. It's a very simple verse, isn't it? What an appropriate verse here. We are to walk or we are to run by faith, not by sight. And if somehow Elijah could have applied that verse in this particular situation, he wouldn't have run away, would he? He hadn't seen a cloud in the sky. Yet he knew it was coming. Yet all of a sudden, the tangible and the visible things became very important to Elijah. And he ran for his life. He was a man of like passions, brethren, and sisters. He experienced extreme highs, but very deep lows. He thought that all his work for Israel was done in vain. So he runs down there to, to Beersheba. Now, we know some 90 miles as well, and he didn't stop all the way down to Beersheba and he doesn't stop there because we know, just as a cross reference for those taking notes, 2 Kings 8 verse 18 it tells us that Judah at this time was run by Jehoshaphat and his son had married the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. So there was going to be no safety in Judah, no safety in Beersheba at all. So he goes again. Now obviously we, we know the account well but as we're reading this we should ask ourselves, was it did he leave Beersheba because he wasn't safe? Or did he have something in his mind? Did he have a specific location? I suggest he did, brothers and sisters. Throughout Elijah's life, and hopefully we've shown that to you, he was experiencing the life of Moses. And he knew that God had spoken to Moses face to face at Horeb. He knew that God's covenant had been established at Horeb. And the children had said everything that he had said, we will do. And so I would suggest to you that his mind was desperate to get down into Horeb. To challenge his God. To ask him what had happened to the covenant. Why he was so forsaken. Why God of armies had not destroyed those that stood against him. And so in the mind of Elijah, he's going down there into Horeb, where Moses spoke to him face to face, to challenge his God. I want us to get into the the spirit of Elijah now. There he is, travelling down south, down into Horeb, with one thing on his mind. I'm going to speak to my God. But he was going with the wrong spirit, brothers and sisters. The wrong spirit entirely. Now, we see here in verse 4, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die. Now, what an irony. He was running for his life, and now he requested he might die. And he said, Is it enough now, O Lord? Take away my life, for I'm not better than my father's. Now, the juniper tree is a is a, a desert bush. It grows 8 to 10 foot. It's a very common bush. But I want to um, just make a connection here to Psalm 120, because I believe the psalmist here picks up the sentiments of Elijah, and we begin to see the state of mind that this prophet was in. Psalm 120. I think here we get into the mind of Elijah as he sat under the juniper tree. And again, you see with this psalm how these words just jump out from the page and tells us, this is Elijah. First one then, In my distress, I cried unto the Lord, and he heard me. There's Elijah in distress. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. The lying lips began in 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 1, where Ahab had told Jezebel all the things that Elijah had done. What shall be given unto thee, or what shall be done unto thee, thou false tongue? Sharp arrows of the mighty, with coals of juniper. Interesting, that is. Woe is me that I sojourn in Mesech, that I dwell in the tents of Kedah. My soul hath long dwelt with him that hateth peace. I am from peace, but when I speak, they are for war. See that? Elijah had left Carmel in a state of peace. A meal of fellowship had taken place with God and Ahab, we would suggest. And there he is, Elijah, standing at the gate of Jezreel hoping now that there was peace, final peace, between the prophets of Yahweh and the prophets of Baal. But no, I'm for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. And so now Elijah calls for Yahweh of armies. You see that? He'd called for the covenant God. Not now. Not when he sat under the juniper tree. He wants Yahweh of armies. And as he goes down into Horeb, he speaks to God as Yahweh of armies. But notice verse 4. Sharp arrows of the mighty with coals of juniper. In the um, English Standard Version, that has a rendering, a warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. So they're going to war with these arrows and the the roots, the hot roots of this juniper tree. You can see, surely, brethren and sisters, the state of this man's mind. It reflects in what he was thinking. Now, brethren and sisters, Elijah, in a situation like this, is no better than ourselves. Our hopes can be so easily dashed at times when we believe that we understand God's intentions. He longed for Israel to be converted. He had prayed that their hearts would be turned. Remember the words of Moses, no need to turn to it, but in Numbers chapter 11... Moses says, I am not able to bear all this people alone because it is too heavy for me. Then he goes on to say in Numbers 11 verse 15, kill me, I pray thee, out of thy hand. So even in this prayer, he takes on the figure of Moses. Elijah is pretending to be Moses, we will suggest. He believes he's the character of Moses. Now, if we bring the exhortation to ourselves, brethren, and sisters, in our own lives, we do providentially see the hand of God in our lives. With that, there is no doubt. But I'm sure all of us at times have felt, as we sit under our juniper tree, it is enough. I can't go on anymore. It is enough. And this is the wonderful character that we have with Elijah, because we can see... Someone who reflects ourselves. We've seen his life. Moments of tremendous valour. But moments then of deep, deep despair. And so that's a wonderful heartening exhortation for ourselves. Great men such as Elijah who will be in the kingdom. Yet at times no better than ourselves. Let's go back then to 1 Kings chapter 19. And this is the love of God. There was Elijah thinking that God was Yahweh of armies. But this is the God of love. And Elijah was going to learn that. And he learns it, or tries to learn it, well, here in verse 5. And he lay and slept under a juniper tree. Behold, then, an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. Psalm 127, verse 2 says that God giveth his beloved sleep. Sleep is a wonderful thing, isn't it? It calms the troubles. It re-energizes our spirits. And if we've had a good night's sleep, we think very differently, do we not, in the morning about our condition. Mm -hmm. And this is what happened with Elijah. Or this is what God wanted to happen uh, to Elijah. An angel of God. And there was Elijah upon Mount Carmel. And he's about to say to Horeb, I'm alone. I'm alone, God. And he wakes up and there's an angel. An angel there. Who's baking him a cake? That's the love of God. That's the God that we serve. Verse 6 And he looked and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and and he laid him down again. Now we shouldn't be surprised. We we, we sometimes startle, do we not, when we look at that verse and think, wow, an angel of the Lord waking up Elijah and feeding him. We shouldn't really, brethren and sisters. The angel of the Lord encampeth around those that fear him. We shouldn't be surprised at all. I just want to go to Psalm 78. What did this angel have for him as he woke? It's fitting, isn't it, that he had a cake? He would have been reminded of the cake. He'd asked a widow to give him a cake. And when we come to Psalm 78... We have this psalm that talks about the experiences of Israel in the wilderness. Look at verse 12. Marvellous things did he in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through. And he made the waters to stand as a heap. And we have a long catalogue of the things that the Lord God had done for the nation of Israel. But then verse 24. And he rained down manna upon them to eat. And he hath given them corn of the heaven. Man did eat angels food he sent them to meet to full well notice in your margin the bread of the mighty so the manna here is likened to angels food we've already said that elijah and figure received the manna at cherith the manna at zarephath and now he has the manna here under the juniper tree god was with him he was moses but this was given now by an angel. This literally was angel's food. not wonderful? The angel, this mighty angel, now gives this man food to eat. And so then, in this mind of despair, God was encouraging him and saying, You're not alone, Elijah. I'm still with you. As I look out over the nation of Israel, and as I looked after my great prophet Moses, I will look after you. And I do see you as a prophet likened unto Moses. I do see you as a prophet likened unto Moses. And this would have given him, surely, tremendous heart. 1 Kings 19 then, in verse 7, Elijah then goes back to sleep. He doesn't seem startled that an angel of the Lord had just fed him. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. Maybe the angel waited till the morning to give him angel's food. Remember at Cherith? Morning and the evening, morning and the evening, morning and the evening. And here, a morning in the evening at the hand of the angel himself. Why did Elijah need to eat again? Because the journey is too great for thee. Elijah had not uttered a word to his God. But God knew where he was going. But more importantly brethren and sisters. God wanted him to get there. He wanted that confrontation at Horeb. He wanted to speak to his prophets. He wanted to speak to Elijah. About a greater work. To come. And so then. Verse 8, and he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights until Horeb, the mount of God. Now we might be amazed that he went for 40 days and 40 nights. But we shouldn't be, brothers and sisters. The God that could give the increase of the meal and the cruise of oil, who could multiply the loaves and the fishes, could energize this bread. And allow Elijah to go all the way down into Horeb. And so then we see in verse 8 that he travels there 40 days and 40 nights we've already highlighted this day for a year principle the children of Israel were in the wilderness for 40 years if we apply that day for a year principle of Ezekiel chapter 4 and verse 6 Elijah now travels in the same wilderness for 40 days. Again, a figure of the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness. He took on the figure of Israel. But God spoke to Moses in the mount for 40 days. And here Elijah, there, for 40 days. I want to develop this. I want to go back to Ezekiel chapter 34 now. And I want you to note the similarities between Elijah and and Moses. Exodus chapter 34, it's very important that we see these similarities because we're not going to truly understand what's being said at Horeb. Exodus chapter 34 then. And I just want to put in context when God spoke to Moses in the mount face to face. Significant, isn't it? That when Moses is in the mount, we see in verse four, 5, and the Lord descended in the cloud and stood within there and proclaimed the name of Yahweh. That was the contest. What was the name? (coughs) And Yahweh passed by before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, ale. and the characteristics of the Lord God. Then verse 14, for thou shalt worship no other gods. For Yahweh, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Well, they've just been serving Baal and Baalim. See the context, brothers and sisters. Then you come down to verse 27. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write thou these words, for after the tenor of these words, I have made a covenant with thee and with Israel. And he was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. He did neither eat bread nor drink water, and he wrote upon the tables the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. So there, then, Elijah takes on the figure of Moses. But I want to now go to Deuteronomy chapter 5, because here uh, the prophet Uh, tells us that it was in Horeb that God spoke to Moses face to face. And that's what Elijah wanted. He wanted to speak to God face to face. Deuteronomy chapter 5, then verse 1, And Moses called all Israel and said unto them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the judgments which I speak in your ears this day, that ye may learn them and keep and do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. The Lord made not this covenant with our fathers, but with us. Even us who are all of us here alive this day. The Lord talked with you face to face in the mount. In the midst of the fire. So Elijah had many questions on his mind. And he wanted to ask his God. Why the children of Israel had forsaken him. And why the judgments had not been poured. Now in 1 Kings chapter 19. It says that he goes to a cave. I'm sure you all know. That it, The cave there, what should be in the, it's a definite article, it should be the cave. The very cave that Moses saw the glory of God. But there's more than that, brethren and sisters. What happened at Horeb? And I'd like just to, again, get into the mind of Elijah. I want you to go back to Exodus chapter 3. He goes to Horeb. He knows the covenant's been cut at Horeb. He knew that God spoke to him face to face at Horeb. But what happened other than that at Horeb? Well, when we come to Exodus chapter 3, we see then, now, Moses kept the flock, verse 1, of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert, and he came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. Elijah would have known this. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. So as Elijah goes down to Horeb, he knew that God answered in fire. At fire in Horeb. Let's go to Exodus chapter 17 now. Exodus chapter 17 This marvellous chapter where Moses strikes the rock. Just pick out verse 6. Behold I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb. And thou shalt smite the rock and there shall come water out of it. So as he goes down to Horeb he knows that God answers by fire. And he also knows that God answers by water. Look down at the end of uh, chapter 17 and we have this fight with the Amalekites. Verse 13, which happened at Horeb, and Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Verse 16, for he said, the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So, Elijah goes down to Horeb, he knows that God answers by fire, he knows that God answers by water, and he knows that God destroys his enemies. And we've already seen... That he knew that God spoke to Moses face to face when the covenant was made. So as Elijah goes all the way down into Horeb he knew that God had already answered by fire. The fire had consumed the altar upon Mount Carmel. He knew that God had opened the heavens and the waters had poured upon the scorched earth. The two things that Elijah wanted from God was the covenant to be reestablished because he felt that only he was left. And God would destroy his enemies, that Yahweh of armies would be unleashed upon Samaria and the nation of Israel. That was the mind of Elijah, brethren and sisters. Well, when we go back to 1 Kings chapter 19, because the word of the Lord had not told Elijah to go there, we see there in verse 9, the word of the Lord came to him, Elijah Had not even said to his God where he was going, but God was watching and observing from afar. God was figuratively, brothers and sisters, he was waiting for him. And he had all the answers. He had all the answers for Elijah. And the word of the Lord comes to him. What doest thou hear, Elijah? Now was that a word of rebuke? I don't think it was, brothers and sisters. He loved his prophet. He dearly loved his prophet. And we see here in the development of the next few verses that God works with Elijah as a father does with his son. And as a father would always or should allow his son or his daughter to speak first and to explain the situation, God similarly gives Elijah the opportunity to explain. And he does explain in verse 10. He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thine prophets with a sword. And I, even I, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. It's a wonderful word, jealous. It literally means envious or, or zealous. And very practical excitation we can apply to ourselves. Is that how we view the word of God? We are zealous for it. We will protect it at any cost. That was the mind of Elijah here. I want you to notice the title the title that Elijah uses he calls God the Lord God of hosts or Yahweh Elohim of armies now that's a very unusual phrase in fact it's the first time that Elijah uses it it's the first time that that phrase ever comes out of the mouth of a character in the word of God so it's very very important do you see what Elijah's doing? Go back to 1 Kings chapter 17. When Elijah bursts upon the scene and speaks to Ahab, he says there in verse 1, as Yahweh Elohim of Israel liveth. Notice that? Of Yahweh Elohim of Israel liveth. Now when you go da- over to uh, chapter 18 now, and when you look out to verse 15, you see, Yahweh of hosts liveth. Now, why do you think Elijah t- changed the title? Well, surely, brethren, and sisters, when Elijah went into the court of Ahab, he used the covenant title of God because Ahab had broken the covenant, Yahweh Elohim. In chapter 18, he wants judgments to be poured, so he calls Yahweh of hosts. But when we come to 1 Kings chapter 19, do you see what's happened? He's combined the two titles of God. He's combined the title of the covenant and the title of judgment. And so what's Elijah saying to God? I want you, God, to establish your covenant through judgment. God couldn't do that, could he? It's free will, is it not? It's out of our own volition that we serve our God. We can only do it through our hearts. God can touch our hearts through the still small voice. He's not going to wreak judgments upon the earth to convert the masses. No. Elijah was entirely wrong. And it was very inappropriate that he used this title. There he is. He's saying he's all alone. They've cast down the altars. They've forsaken the covenant. Only he was left. Brethren, sisters... He fails now. God had given him all these opportunities to be like Moses. Let's see what Moses did. Let's go to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. Verse 1. I say then, hath God cast away his people, God forbid, or by no means? For I am also an Israelite, the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin, God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew. Watch ye not that the scripture saith of Elijah how he maketh intercession to God against Israel. Notice that. He gets to Horeb. God had been with him. He was just like Moses. God's desperate for Elijah to be like Moses. To love his people. To bring them out of spiritual Egypt. And he fails at Horeb. He intercesses against them. Lord, they have killed thy prophets and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so then at this present time also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. So Elijah intercessed against Israel. Let's see what Moses did. In the same mount. Let's see his prayer. Exodus chapter 34. Exodus 34. And after God had expressed his name. And described his characteristics. Hear the prayer of Moses. In the very same mount. And Moses verse 8. Made haste and bowed his head toward the earth. And worshiped and he said. If now I have found grace in thy sight. O Lord or Yahweh. Let my Yahweh. Should be in the Hebrew. I pray thee. Go among us, for it is stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity, notice, and our sin, and take for us, or take us for thine inheritance. Do you see that? see the use of the pronoun? Our iniquity and our sin. He intercessed for Israel as a figure of a high priest. And so Elijah failed. Now think of that, brothers and sisters. He'd been at Cherith, Zarephath, and the juniper tree. God had fed him manna, just like the children of Israel. He'd gone into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, likening himself to the children of Israel. There he was for 40 days and 40 nights, as Moses was in Mount Horeb, as God spoke to him face to face. He should have been just like Moses. But he didn't love his brethren, and he thought he was alone. But the love of God was, brethren and sisters, that Elijah was going to hear the still small voice and God was going to send Elijah out again and say, yes, I love you so much. You will be like Moses. But you will be like Moses when Jesus returns. And as Moses brought out the children of Israel out of Egypt, you similarly will take on that role and you will not intercess against Israel. For that time you will intercess for them, for you will convert them. For the hearts of the fathers to the children, the children to the fathers. You see the mind of God, brethren and sisters? It's awesome, isn't it? How he loves his servants. There he was, wrestling with his soul, Elijah. And God gives him the still small voice. And we need to consider the still small voice because uh, time is against us. We go back to one Kings chapter nineteen. And God answers him, and the wind and the earthquake and the fire come, and we have the utter destruction, the mountains broken in pieces, the very foundations are rumbled and quaked, hills are collapsed, and the fire comes in verse 12. And we see then at the end of verse 12, after the fire, there was the still small voice. Rotherham translates that, a silence or a calm or a whisper. The voice of a gentle whisper. And the centuagent, uh, a gentle whisper. And if we have a time and you go through the account. When God spoke to Moses at the mount. We see the wind and the earthquake and the fire. And then at the end, we read of a voice that comes. It's a repeat. It's an exact, entire carbon copy. But it's different, isn't it, brothers and sisters? Because God doesn't tell Moses to go into the cave. Because the law repelled men. God calls him to come out of the cave. Because the gospel is an invitation. I want to go to Psalm 107. The still a small voice. This is a lovely reference, brothers and sisters, because we pick up. The word still here. And we see it as the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see the work of the new covenant. Psalm 107 and verse 28. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad, because they be quiet, so he bringeth them unto their desired heaven Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his children, or wonderful works to the children of men. The analogy there is a stormy sea. And what did Jesus say? Peace be still. And the waters were made still. And that word still, small voice is the word calm there. In verse 29, he maketh the storm a calm. The law of Moses was a storm, brethren and sisters. The words of the Lord Jesus Christ was a calm. Elijah, when he was down there in Horeb, was a storm. The words go forth and he becomes a calm. The work of the still small voice. Go back to Exodus chapter 16. We see here the new means. Of God's instruction to his great prophet Moses. Exodus chapter 16. All these chapters dovetail so beautifully together. Exodus 16 and verse 11. It relates to the manner. And the Lord spake unto Moses saying. I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel. They speak unto me saying. At even ye shall eat flesh. And in the morning ye shall be filled with bread. That was Elijah at Cherith. And ye shall know that I am the Lord your God. Verse 14 then, and when the Jew that lay was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness, there lay a small round thing. That word small is the same Hebrew word as the still small voice. Elijah had received the manna at Cherith, the manna at Zarephath, the manna under the juniper tree. And now he receives the manna at Horeb. And just as God, brothers and sisters, had sustained the nation of Israel for 40 40 years in the wilderness. Why? Because he loved them. And he wanted to give them the kingdom. The assurance that Elijah now receives. I love you, Elijah. Just as I have not forsaken my nation, the children of Israel, I will not forsake thee. I want to go to Hebrews chapter 12. just want to go to two passages rather quickly. Hebrews chapter 12. Here the writer to the Hebrews brings out the contrast between the two mounts... That have called the children of God. Verse 18 of Hebrews 12. For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched. And that burned with fire. Nor unto blackness and darkest and tempest. And the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words. Which the voice that they heard. Entreated that the word should not be spoken to them any more. Verse 21. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said. I exceedingly fear and quake. Verse 22. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God. What did Elijah say? Yahweh liveth. That was the title he continually used. Yahweh liveth. And the God that we serve here is the living God. The heavenly Jerusalem. And to innumerable company of angels. Now, here, brothers and sisters, we, we see the sequence. The law, the terrors of the law, were going to come before... The blessings of the still small voice, the gospel message. That's the love that God had for his son, Elijah the prophet. He was going to show him how he was going to work with mankind. The law will go forth, but one will come who will dispense with the still small voice.